0: listening
1: to fox sports radio so you know you've heard the phrase uh, schadenfreude right enjoyment of others pain yes is it fair for me when i had ohio state in the final four and like before like some people even got in their seats they were eliminated <laughs> and i looked foolish is it is it schadenfreude for me to say i'm not so upset that the whole tournament's been in? a tumult because it makes me look like oh okay at the beginning it looked really bad i i think i i could say that it's um not as bad would you agree Jonas? Uh,
0: yeah i had uh, illinois winning it all so i'm oh, long gone i I, I
1: i had them in, <laughs> in, yeah let's just say this the the pros at pregame.com who you know again by the test of time the best there are they multiple ones of them thought illinois was the only team that could compete with Gonzaga, so uh, we're going to get into, and I think the Vegas League certainly is the tournament and all of the upsets. But I think there's some lessons we can learn that helps us, uh, you know, in the future games.
0: Yeah, and this is the final day of the four-day game, four day, excuse me, opening weekend extravaganza for the NCAA tournament. It's the round of 32. One last set of games to get into the Sweet 16. But, RJ, we have already seen a historic number of upsets so far in the tourney.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And there's a bunch of ways to look at this. I think saying Vegas thought one team was going to win and the other team won has happened already 14 times. And... It, you know, just considering when you have 16s versus ones and, you know, typically 15s versus twos and this year, you know, there was a 15. But the idea of it being uh, in the first, as of the most recent count, we had 45 games. The idea that 14 of them have an upset is, is just something we just don't see. And then if you look at, well, how about the extreme upsets? Well, we've got a 15. And then we're going to have uh, a 14 and 13 are playing. So one of them is going to advance. So just having two above 12. Um, I just did some back of the napkin calculations going back to 1985. So way back, 35 years or so, is going back to 1985, there had been like five or six 15, or, um, above 12 seeds. So 13, 14, 15, 16. 12s always been a demarcator. You see 12s beat fives all the time. And then 12s get to the Sweet 16 all the time. But what doesn't happen is the 13s, 14s, or 15s, and then the 116 is 1-1 game, they don't usually get to the Sweet 16. So we're talking about a handful of times in 35 years, and we're guaranteed two of those this tournament. So you not only have at the the biggest upset level, this is historic. Right? It's unprecedented. But then as you look at just the the raw number of upsets, because sometimes you can have a chalky tournament, but a couple of big upsets, this is from top to bottom. So you're the eye tester for us, and we predicted it. We said, and I just want to see if our thoughts lined up with what you have seen. We predicted The reason there'd be a high variance, which is another word for there's going to be a lot of things you don't expect, it's going to vary a lot, is because one, we don't know how good the good teams are. Because when you don't play as many games, when you don't play out of conference, uh, I remember one pick we made on the podcast, it was Colgate. And I think Colgate was 14 and one. Like they had played 15 games. And they were playing a team, Arkansas, that had played, you know, almost a full slate, but not quite. How, how do we think we know as much about Colgate? Well, we didn't. We were skeptical, and Colgate got beat badly. It doesn't change, you know, it doesn't make the concept right, but what it does show is, in general, it's like a friend, right? We've all had a friend that we met, and we've known him for six months, and it's like, man, that guy, he's stand up. You know, and that never seems to do anything that just, I think, is playing wrong. It's one thing to say that after six months. If you say that after six years, it means something else. If you say that after 16 years, it means a lot more. When we say sample size, it is because any occurrence that happens over a short period of time is meaningful, but it's not as meaningful as that same occurrence over a long period of time. So my starting point of why I thought it would be high variance would be we just didn't know how good these teams were. Vegas!
0: Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Outta Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. or wherever you get your podcast. The Big Ten had a bundle of teams get into the NCAA tournament, nine in total, but with another day left in opening weekend, we have seven Big Ten teams gone, the only two remaining, Michigan and Maryland, coming up
1: later on. I can't explain this concept without telling a story. I tell it once a year. I always enjoy it. It was way back in the early 90s, and Tecmo – Baseball And the people know Tecmo football, but Tecmo baseball was a big uh, – Nint- or um, it wasn't Nintendo, was it? Yeah, I guess it was. It was Nintendo. And where I grew up, there was 4,000 people and small town. But there was the city f- or the townsfolk and the country folk. And let's just say this. I was in the town, and it had no stoplight, So that was the town, all right? But then you got out where the farms are and all that stuff. There was a guy that thought he was really good at Tecmo Baseball, and I was, I would just say it, the best. And he came and said, oh, I can take you out. So we bet, and like the first game it was a mercy rule, like 11 nothing or whatever. Second game mercy rule, me winning. He drops the controller and goes, I gotta get off the hill. Now, with that, That's where the country folk were up on the hill. <laughs> it's like we only know what we know from the competition that we play. And he was the best guy up there. Now, the Big Ten was playing amongst themselves. Historically, you play a lot of -of out-of-conference games. But even in college basketball, unless a team makes a point to play some of these uh, holiday tournaments and different things, often those out-of-conference games aren't that particularly competitive, meaning they play teams that are just much better than. That's when you just never know how good a conference is or how good a team is. Because they're playing amongst themselves. Imagine if someone looked at the NFL as one conference and looked at, let's say, the Big Sky in um, football or some small conference as another, and one team's 11 and 0, other team's 11 and 0. You're like, well, NFL eh, that competition is a little bit better. You know, you don't. You, I guess in that case, you could look physically and say, well, look, these guys are 300 pounds, these guys are 230, but in general. When it's not that obvious, because you're never going to see that in the Big Ten. You're not going to be able to say, oh, the Pac-12 is better. Look how much taller they are. Look how much faster. No, it's intangibles usually. And if they don't play each other cross-conference, the best team in one conference might be the fourth best team in another. But you have no idea that there's that much of a discrepancy. And again, it gets to this pandemic year Because there was just – was there any out-of-conference games in basketball? uh,
0: Yeah, they were. It was way early on, obviously, before conference play. But I know – I think Illinois played um, uh, Missouri. I think North Carolina A&T was on their schedule at some point. So so
1: not as much as usual.
0: No, not as much as you. And and it was so long ago that. I, and also, you don't know. You'd have to go back to each game. I mean, you know, did COVID affect anybody in these games? You know, what what was it like early on in the season? They'll usually do the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They they did yes. that for a long time. And those
1: those are the kind of things you can really learn something because the theory is you're playing competitive teams, and if one conference does, you know, go six and two or whatever, it tells you something. We didn't have the benefit of that this year. And you make a great point, and I'll let you finish Is when you were saying about how it's not just the number of games, but within those games, there was more variation because of random things like COVID absences, travel issues. So every game tells you a little bit. It seems like a little less than it typically would and there was less games cross-conference also. Continue that.
0: Yeah, and I was also going to say, you know, in making the comparison, we, we'll do this during bowl season, where you'll see yeah. during college football bowl season, people go, okay, what did what conference do? And I've never been a believer that that tells me anything about the conference in bowl season, Ooh. because it's like in the regular season for college basketball this year. In the bowl games, man, there's a lot of things that could go on. Maybe the best player sits out because he's waiting for the draft. Maybe, uh, you know, one team doesn't really care about the gift bag, that they're getting. They've got injuries or somebody's getting a surgery done to get ready for the combine. There's bowl games in college football outside of the big bowls. A lot of teams don't really get get up for. You know, some teams might not be as excited to play as you would think they would be because they've got players that are looking after their own interests. In the tournament, I think it's the opposite. It's one and done. It's sudden death. Winner go home every single game and to see one conference lose 7 of 9 when they were touted as the best conference all season long, I think that's a pretty damning look.
1: Now, you're making some uh, a really good point. So, let's think about what Jonas is saying here. I'm RJ Bower straight out of Vegas. One is every game, you can call it a uh, a certainty coefficient or you could call it something that has to do with how instructive, how telling is this event – Another way to say it is are there factors that aren't obvious that's making this deceptive, right? Cuz it can a, a game might be deceptive if two key players were out but you forget about it or some other fact. So what's the de- maybe that's the way to think about it, is how deceptive could this result be? Yeah. In the college football, you know, pre-conference time, uh, or let's say in bowls, let's use that. It's even better in the bowls. It could be very deceptive. Motivation is 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 a, a, a widely varying thing amongst these teams in college bowls, and also there could be other factors too. Okay, so there's there's a fairly high deception quotient, but it's not super high, I think, for bowls. But I agree with you; it's it's higher than the NCAA tournament. Where in truth, in basketball there should be no reason that it's deceptive other than the fact it's just one and done so teams can get lucky or unlucky. But now you look across the conference and you say everyone's playing hard, everyone wants to win, and they're getting beat far more often, the Big Ten is, than we expected. And that tells us just fundamentally they were not as good as we thought. And since they played a vast majority of the games that mattered amongst themselves, it was like that guy up on the hill playing Tecmo. He was was winning, but what did it mean? And I think what we're saying is what we thought the Big Tens winning against each other meant, it doesn't seem like it means that much. And I would say as we segue to an updated title odds, and Mackenzie, perk up your ears here, pregame.com research, because I want to see if I'm missing something other than this. Because if you look at the favorites right now, Michigan jumps out at you, but they're the fourth favorite. So Gonzaga plus 170. So they were about two to one, so their odds have improved. Not probably as much as I oh, I'm sorry, this was from Friday. So yeah, from the start of the tournament till now, only went up a little bit. But it kind of makes sense because one seed so rarely lose in the first two rounds. All right. Baylor's next. Now Baylor's odds have done really an improvement. They were seven to one. Now they're three and a half to one. So your payoff got cut in half with Baylor from that's a number one seed winning two games. That's it. Okay. Houston, who almost lost, were 17 to one. Now they're eight to one. The third favorite to win the title is Houston, and Clyde Drexler's not there. Alonzo's <laughs> not there. No <laughs> five slamma jamma. Okay, here's what's interests me though. Michigan was eight to one. Now they're eleven to one. Wow. Mackenzie. Is, could that be anything in your mind except the reevaluation of the Big Ten?
2: <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, that's the only thing it could be because their path isn't especially easy. They still have the number 2 seed, of Alabama, to look at.
1: So their path is the same. It's just maybe they're just not as good as we thought. Well, remember, a path can't get harder. It can only get easier. In theory, you assume you're going to play the high seeds all the way out. And then if, if one bracket opens up, you could say the odds would improve a lot. But why would odds get worse? I mean, The only
2: thing I could think of is if Houston's path being so easy, being the only one that's not a 10 or higher seed in their bracket, that wait, somehow they get a bigger piece of the pie. Yeah,
1: but if you're the number one seed and somehow you've got to play the number two in the lead eight, that's kind of expected. Right. Right? So, I mean, that could if the line had gone from Michigan eight to one to seven to one, like only improved a little bit, you could explain that and I would agree with you. Now, I should know this. I just forget. Is Does Michigan still play tonight?
0: Yeah, they played later on. Yeah,
1: so they've only got the one win in, so that's part of it too. They win a second game, obviously. But imagine this: you win a game, and that's all you've done. No, no one's gotten hurt, no one got suspended, and you went from eight to one to eleven to one. <laughs> if you if you ever wondered how serious the betters take this idea that when a conference does poorly or strongly, you got to take it as meaningful to reevaluate all the teams <laughs> in that conference. It's that, Jonas, right? I mean, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, well, it's like uh, one guy on, on the team does something stupid and everybody's got to run laps afterwards. It's like <laughs> Michigan's now got to run laps because have, nobody else could hold up their end of the bargain in the Big Ten, so Now they get punished for it from the betters. So,
1: yeah. So that's Jonas Talks. I'm R.J. Boat. So, Mackenzie, I'm looking at my printout here, and I'm not quite sure. So is it Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston in order? There's no team ahead of them? Or
2: yes. that's top three, right
1: there. Okay. And then Michigan at eleven one is fourth. Yep. And who's fifth? Loyola Chicago. That's what I'm wondering. I couldn't believe that. So you're saying they had the fifth best chance to win the title.
2: Yes, and that was coming into today. Iowa, the six team, was knocked out today. Oh my so god. So even better now.
1: I mean, imagine that, Jonas. Jesus. Loyola of Chicago. Is the was it, you know, even better, I guess, to some degree, the fifth favorite to win the title? Where's Alabama? What are you seeing there, McKenzie?
2: 18 to one, they're the next spot down. Wow. All right.
0: Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific.
1: Now, let's transition to the conference that's done exceptionally well, and that would be the Pac 12. What's your eye test takeaway from that, Jonas?
0: I just – they look really, really athletic. I mean, especially Oregon. I'm just in going the most recent example that we got to see earlier today, Oregon got all over Iowa, and it was just a complete and total mismatch. Just athleticism and everything. it just like two different quality – I don't know if it was teams or conferences or how you want to pair it up, but they just looked completely dominant. Um, and, and it it's funny, and, and I do feel a little bit of this – You know, not to continue to go back to the college football stuff, but I do think it applies here. You know, the the Pac-12's always been sort of mocked the past couple of years in college football because the powerhouses there just have not been there. So it does feel like there's more and more Pac-12 love sort of uh, basking in the glory of the demise of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 running all over them. But Oregon was totally dominant, looked much more athletic, and Iowa had no answers at all.
1: Mackenzie, pop open the line move in that Oregon-Iowa game because Fezzik made an interesting point in our pre-show, and he'll be in on Wednesday to give all his thoughts as things are settling down in between rounds, is he said, boy, our instincts should have been, and they weren't, on Oregon. Because up to that point, though, obviously, Oregon's domination kind of put an exclamation point on it, we would be thinking, okay, up arrow Pac-12, down arrow Big Ten, And, oh, here's Pac-12 versus Big Ten. It's something, in theory, we should have been looking at Oregon. I'm curious to see from the opener, McKenzie, to the close of that line, was it a lot of Oregon money? Because as the other Big Ten teams were losing, as Pac-12 teams were doing well, did people reevaluate and start betting Oregon? Indeed, it went from 5.5 to 4.5 at close. All right, so Iowa was favored by 5.5, and then... The money came in on Oregon four and a half, and then they won outright. Right, push the number down. Okay, yeah. So the money came in on the Pac-12 team, which is what we would expect—a team that, um, uh, you know, it's just in general. You're, re- it, you know, what it's like. It's like, imagine if, um, I mean, UFC. When they used to have tournaments, right? And yeah. when a guy, you know, like the first UFC ever, was the Gracie tournament, right? Yeah. It, you, you know about that, I'm sure. They, I think there's been a couple documentaries on that one, and it's really cool. Yeah, I loved that one, by the way, just because it was a like no one, like there were street fighters, there were kickboxers. I think Mr. T might have been, no, I, but almost like Mr. T. <laughs> and then the and and no one knew which discipline would win. You know, on the X-files there used to be that crew, the lone gunmen, and they when one of them dominated the other one in their hacking, they'd say your kung fu is better than my kung fu, which is the idea that there's different ways to approach it. Well, these different conferences aren't different ways, but they're different, you know, in in the way of playing different teams. And back with the UFC, when you'd see a guy beat who you expected to win, What did you think? You're like, wow, i got to reevaluate how good he is because he just beat someone I thought was really good, right? That's just human nature. Well, Pac-12 has had a lot of games in which you say, yep, they must be better than I thought. Big 10's had many games. Oh, they're not as good as I thought. It's it's very logical, but the market doesn't react to it as quickly as you should, I think. And because of that, there's an opportunity. As much as, yeah, the Big 12 – or I'm sorry, the Pac-12 is going to be more favored, more love. I'm not sure. I'm more anti-Big Ten than I am pro-Pac-12. And uh, I think it's when you see a team that's the number one seed lose in the second round, that's much more unlikely than it is that a team that's like a 5-point underdog wins a game. So the big kind of shockers here have been more of the losses of the Big Ten than the wins of the Pac-12. So in general, I'm more anti- Big Ten. Uh, would you agree with that, Jonas? Or? Yeah,
0: no, I, I agree. And I actually wondered this, just in, in talking about this and thinking about it, did you get a sense in Vegas that maybe some of the traditional always-bet-on-the-tournament sharp bettors maybe backed away a little bit this year because they sensed that there was going to be something that was a little bit off about this tournament? And and maybe let, let, all the, let all the other people bet the early rounds, and then once you get a couple of rounds in, then reassess, and then try and attack and, and, and make your bets to make your money later on
1: there's two types of professional batters one that are super conservative now that seems kind of an oxymoron right a conservative gambler but there are super conservative gamblers that for them it's a mathematical exercise they have an edge they hate variety they hate variance they want every game played in a a sealed chamber and they want, you know, no smoke, no, you know, as much as you can make it like this perfect environment. And then the truth just exerts itself. Then you've got the more typical, Hey, I got gamble in my stomach type gambler. And they look at the smart ones. And if they're pros are smart, they look at variance, as in a variety of factors that they don't know exactly how to price as an opportunity. And that's how I tend to look at it. If I wanted to be boring, I could have went from college and went to law school and had a lot of, you know, some success, but it would have been boring for me. I want a chance for everything to get turned upside down. Then what? I want to shake it up and then what? And I think you see that when we do our best and our picks have been great over two and a half years. I mean, on air, we've done exceptionally well. And because we care, right? We really Know that when we give a pick, there's going to be thousands, I mean, literally thousands of people follow it, it matters. But I think when things have been shook up is when we've done our best. And to me, it's hard to imagine a better pick than to say, okay, we're going to go official best bet. I said it was the bet of the tournament over 10 and a half for the sum of the final four teams when you sum them up. The very fact that there was one game, Fezic said, I don't remember which one it was. If it had gone the other way, we would have won it already. Like, if even if the best four teams would have made it from, the, not even 16 left, like with 20 left. So, I mean, knock on wood, but I can't see us losing that one because we said, how do we take advantage of the uncertain? To me, you can cry about the darkness, Jonas, or you can light a candle, all right? And I'm the type that lights candles. Straight out of Vegas!